Okay, yeah, I was actually thinking about that her birthday was coming up. <laughs> oh, I thought she was dead. No, she's very alive. Oh. <laughs> that that happened one time where I was I thought for some reason I was really convinced August Darnell from Kid Krill and the Coconuts was dead and was referring to him that way in the episode. And then suddenly you guys are like, wait a second. Hold up. <laughs> Hold up. This guy's still alive. Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, record collector, DJ, podcaster, and certified walking piece of heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Jeremy approves. Yeah. I'm co-host Jeremy, and aside from roaring at Sean... How long have we been doing this podcast, guys? Like 10, 20 years? Give or take. Uh, it, it feels that long. It's yeah. Been, it's been about five in reality. Mm. I think it's time for a change, fellas. Yeah? I think I'm going to get into the cookbook game. I kind of always, I always saw that as the end result of this, specifically for you. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Do you have one that you're working on? I do. It's mostly complete already. It's, uh, you know, a compendium of inexpensive, common, and underappreciated stews. And I'm going to call the book, I'd Cook That for an Hour. (laughs) (laughs) Stews that are waiting to be rediscovered. Well, once again, you've got my money. Yes. Your target audience is Sean. Well, I am co-host Peter Cook, and I think it's fascinating that we're talking about an album today that contains not one, but two songs that were on a previously featured album on the podcast, Tammy Wynette's Another Lonely Song. But we didn't play either of those songs when we talked about the Tammy record, but we'll be playing both of them today. And there you have an example of what my thoughts do all the time. What? (laughs) That's my brain. That's how my brain works. That peek behind the torn curtain. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Way yeah. to drop my Instagram handle in there, Sean. Like a pro. Mm-hmm. Well, our guest today has another thing to add to her collection of what she does for her day job. Now that uh, Jeremy's getting into the cookbook game. <laughs> because with us today is a collector of female country LPs as well as a collector of cookbooks and catalogs cookbooks at her job. Welcome, Kathy Illman. Yay, thank you. Yeah, we have talked about a few female country LPs on the podcast over the years, but it sounds like you're ensuring a long-term guest slot here on the program. As how, <laughs> Do you have an estimation of how many you own, roughly? Um... Of LPs, I might, I would guess around 500 or so of the female country LPs. Yeah, that's... Not sure, though. I haven't counted them lately. (laughs) Could be higher than that. Yeah. Well, which one, of all those options, which one have you brought to us today? Tell our listeners. I have brought the album Satin Sheets by Jeannie Pruitt. A classic. It is, and it's from 1973, which is a great year for country music. Yeah, a great year in music in general, but certainly for country music. Well, I I have a suspicion of where you want to start, but why don't you tell us what song you want to feature first? Well, I think we should probably play Satin Sheets. Yeah, if there's a chance that anyone is not familiar with this massive hit that reached number one on the Billboard country charts and number 28 on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1973. Yeah, this was a big one, but let's play that. Satin Sheets, Side A, Track 1. Mm-hmm. 
sheets to lie on, satin pillows to cry on. Still, I'm not happy, don't you see? Big long Cadillac, tailor made to bone my back. Still. Those first notes were pretty dissonant. I was surprised the first time I heard this by the notes, but they kind of make sense when you think about the the message of the song, the dissonance and the uh, main character there. Yeah, the character who is being adorned with gifts from her partner, but not the affection that she needs. Yeah. Showered with gifts. Yeah. <laughs> that seems to be generally what's going on here. Yeah. And I just got to think that her guy that she's in love with that doesn't have the satin sheets. I've just always thought he must've been a really uh, big stud. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) It's like, he just, he knows what's, what's up and she's willing to give up all this other stuff to be with this guy. And I just love the like laid back rhythm of that song. It's a good groove. Yeah, and the vocal delivery is just so soulful on this, too. Just really putting a lot into it. And on top of that, it's just an incredible song. I was kind of surprised, Peter, when you said that we didn't feature this song on the Tammy Wynette record because that was like a standout song in my memory from listening to that album. Oh, yeah, I know. I went back and listened through just all the selections to be certain, and yeah, we did not feature it, and I was surprised. (laughs) Huh. Yeah, from that whole album, even though it's one we didn't feature, that's the one I remember the most. So <laughs> it's a great song. Yeah, and it was written by a Minnesota native named Jack Volenkady. And he said the idea came to him while he was grocery shopping one day in Minnesota. He ran home and wrote the song in five minutes. This was in 1970. And it took him a year to sell the song and another year after that for anyone to record it. It was first recorded by a duo of Bill Anderson and Jen Howard in the year 1972. And Gene's version was released as a single in February of 1973. And MCA, the company that released this, they didn't think that that song had hit potential. We know that record companies have their thumb on the pulse <laughs> all the time. Yeah, I bet those rich dudes were like, this won't resonate with anyone. <laughs> and so they didn't promote it when it was released as a single, but by March, it was getting played on country radio, and it was aided by the fact that Jeannie had hand-cut herself 1,600 satin sheets and sent them to radio programmers, disc jockeys, and music executives across the nation. So it's kind of a DIY way of promoting it. So was this like a a satin sheet, like the size of a 45 then, I would imagine? 
Do you have any insight to that, Kathy? Exactly. I tried to. No, I, I don't remember that story. Oddly. Yeah. I tried to look up more information on it and I, I wonder if it was like 45 shaped. Yeah. Like a, just a little, little bed sheet. Yeah. And I'm have to get me one of those. I know 1600 of them. There's gotta be one out there still. Yeah. <laughs> So it hit number one on the country charts by May, and it was, as I mentioned, a crossover hit reaching number 28 on the Billboard Hot 100, and it's become a country standard. It's been recorded by Tammy Wynette, as we mentioned, uh, the following year. That was 1974 when another Lonely Song was released. Uh, Loretta Lynn, Dolly Parton, and Martina McBride, just to name a few. Uh, confusingly, I found there is another country song called Satin Sheets that was also first recorded around this exact same time by an American singer named Willis Allen Ramsey. And that was actually released on Leon Russell's Shelter Records and has been covered by a number of people like the Bellamy Brothers, Sean Colvin, and Waylon Jennings. So there are two country songs wow. called Satin Sheets <laughs> out there from about the same time period. But, I mean, this is the one that most people know. <laughs> yeah, it's also a karaoke classic as well. Oh, yeah, I can imagine yeah. Have you found your way to many country karaoke bars, Kathy? Well, actually, this song in particular, I I used to sing at this bowling alley um, on the outskirts of town called Marvel Lanes. That is not called that anymore. But um, every time I went out there to sing, there was always this like older woman who sang satin sheets every single time. And at this point, I had like three copies of Satin Sheets LP. So one time I went there and I was like, I think you should have a copy of this. Do you have a record player? And she's like, yeah, I do, but I don't have this record. And she like was like tearing up because she was so like touched that I would give her this record. And I just remember thinking, this is like what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. This is why I do this. Yes. <laughs> and you are added to our collection of guests who have given away multiple copies of the art or the album they wanted to feature. Yes. yes. Yeah. Buy it so you can give it I think away. I've given it to two different people. Doing the bargain bin Lord's work here. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a weird album. I don't know if we want to talk about the artwork right now, but let's do it. I think it's one thing that's underappreciated. Why this album is underappreciated is because of the artwork. Cause I feel like it is so pink and it is so gaudy that I think it would turn off a lot of men back in the day to ever buy this record. And maybe even some women would be like, oh, gosh, that's so pink and girly. I'm not going to buy that. And I think I think that was like a detriment of that album. I think if if it had been, you know, a picture of of just her like in front of a bed or something that was that had some sheets on it, but she wasn't all decked out in these all this pink, <laughs> I feel like it would have sold better. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. The, the way it's designed, it also kind of just reminds me a lot of the like budget compilations that were coming out around this time. You know, it looks like it could just be a generic model with some, yeah. you know, slap together <laughs> various artist tracks on the back. I, I mean, what you're saying is that this would be like stratospheric, uh, like level of legendary album because it did reach number one on the billboard country chart. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think more people though, like today would still be talking about it. I don't know anybody else who has this record or likes it. You don't see guys on the internet being like, Ooh, I love Jeannie Pruitt. But <laughs> until, until now, <laughs> I, I just think it's because they don't have this record because they saw it and they're like, Ooh, too pink. I'm not going to buy that. I should mention now, before I forget to do it, that I purchased this through Discogs from Little Lost Records. Do you guys remember Little Ooh. Lost Records? In yeah. Connecticut? In Connecticut, our former guest, Connor Ryan. Mm -hmm. from Yeah, purchased from their VG Plus slash Near Mint. That's what it's rated here, $3. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think this definitely falls into the inexpensive common and underappreciated records that are waiting to be yeah. rediscovered category. Did you give them positive feedback or what? Oh, yeah, I did give, I did leave positive feedback. On, okay. <laughs> a glowing review, I hope. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, yep. Yeah, I got to do that, especially for a, a former guest. 
So shout out to Little Lost Records. So Kathy, how did this record first come onto your radar? Honestly, I don't remember when I bought this record. It would have been over 20 years ago. The, the pressings that I have are um, Canadian, so I'm, I must have bought it in Canada. Uh, probably somewhere in southern Ontario at a flea market. That's right, because we should mention you're currently based in East Lansing, Michigan. Yep. But you yep. you'd spent some time in your collegiate years in Canada. I did. I lived there for two and a half years, and I went back and forth there for about five years. So did a lot of record shopping in the dollar bins. So was country music something you grew up with, or was this more of like an acquired specialty over time? It was not something I grew up with, despite having grown up in Kentucky till I was 10. It was more of my family like looked down on country music. But when I got to be a little older, I heard Stand By Your Man when I was maybe like 12 or 13. And I was hooked on Tammy Wynette ever since then. And she was the one that made me want to listen to more country. So that's how I got into She's it. She's a great gateway. <laughs> yeah, perfect. She is. <laughs> well, before we go any further and talk more about Jeannie, what song did we want to play next? It was uh, Baby's Gone. All right. Yeah, that's a, this is a Conway Twitty tune originally. Let's listen to Baby's Gone, side A, track four. <laughs> Across the on there especially the backing vocals and the slide guitar they're just so minimal but every time they come in it just completely elevates the whole song yeah yeah there's a, a good push and pull kind of going on that mm -hmm. can uh it makes it feel very emotional and the yeah the jordan errors can't you can't beat the jordan errors legends and uh, they are not the only A-team members on this record. There's a bunch of stars on this one. Yeah, <laughs> we might as well just uh, go through them real quick now. Grady Martin on guitar. There's going to be like 18 guitarists here, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, Grady Martin played on hits like Marty Robbins' El Paso, Loretta Lynn's Coal Miner's Daughter, Brenda Lee, I'm Sorry, Ray Price for the good times, Willie Nelson on the road again. That's just like very, very, you know, top of the stack right there. Yeah. Certified Nashville A-team. Yeah, absolutely. 
I heard, so I don't think he's playing on satin sheets because I read an anecdote about how when he heard the recording and heard that opening guitar, he's like, it's going to be a hit. That's going to grab everyone. And, and he replayed it at that point. Like he was so excited about those opening notes we talked about on satin sheets. Mm-hmm. So who knows who it was? There's, like I said, there's many guitarists I'm about to name. The next one being Ray Edenton, uh, who we've talked about before, played on the Everly Brothers' Bye Bye Love and Wake Up Little Susie, Roger Miller's King of the Road, and basically every hit song by Webb Pierce. Also, Ray Price, the album for the good times. He just died recently uh, near the end of 2022 at the age of 95. Harold Bradley on guitar, also known as a session bassist and one of the chief architects in developing the Nashville sound, along with his brother, Owen Bradley. They were both the owners of Bradley's Barn Studio just outside of Nashville in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, and that's where this album was recorded. But we haven't discussed this yet. You know, the Nashville sound was when they, these guys and some other people started adding lush, pop-friendly string arrangements to the tunes. And are we hearing that on this record? Well, you got the Jordan Ayers. The Jordan Ayers sure. are on there. There's, de- I mean, it, the A-Team is still here. There's, I don't know that there's any strings on this album. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't strike me as like a Nashville sound kind of album. They deliberately, the producer Walter Haynes deliberately wanted to get a more traditional country sound with this. That makes sense because the first time I listened to it, when I looked at the year, I was like seventy three. I would have thought like sixty seven just by listening to it. Yeah, I think it caught a lot of people's attention at the time. I think that's one of the reasons this stood out. Jerry Shook, also on guitar and harmonica as well. He also worked as an engineer in Nashville and operated a studio called the Shook Studio. Pete Wade, on guitar, worked with Joan Baez, Carl Perkins, Charlie Pride, and Henry Mancini. Again, very quick capsule summary, because <laughs> these people played with everyone. Bob Moore on bass played on nearly all of Patsy Cline's DECA recordings and overall played on over 17,000 documented recordings and is the father of lo-fi and DIY music pioneer R. Stevie Moore. Oh, wild. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Which must be how R. Stevie Moore ended up on a recording when he was eight years old. It all makes sense now. (laughs) Buddy Harmon on drums, who played on the classic 12 Golden Country Greats record from 1996 by Ween, and that's all we need to say about Buddy Harmon. (laughs) (laughs) And there are a whole bunch of backing vocalists, the Jordanaires. I like that they're all named Neil Matthews, Gordon Stoker, Ray Walker, Hoyt Hawkins. They named all the Jordanaires on here. And many more singers... This is a top, yeah, the the Nashville A-team, top of their game here. That's why it sounds the way it does. Yeah, I love the production on this record. It's it's so, like, warm and it's so cozy. I feel like you can put this on when you're just feeling, like, run down. And it feels like a big hug, like, from your mom, basically. Yeah. It just sounds so, like, matronly and, like, everything's going to be okay. Warm blanket. Yeah, apparently when the Bradleys first heard Jeannie, they said, oh, she sounds like a housewife. People are going to love this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk a little bit about Jeannie's background. She was born Norma Jean Bowman on January 30th, 1937. So she just had her 87th birthday. She was born just outside of Pell City, Alabama, and was raised on a farm. She was one of 12 children, as you did on farms back then. You, need, yeah. you needed a lot of hands on deck on the, on the farm. And in her childhood, she often informally performed music with her family. They would sing together on the front porch of their farmhouse, and she also learned to harmonize there. Learned a lot of different musical instruments at home as well. She first learned how to play guitar from the song Down the Trail of Aiken Hearts. 
and would frequently listen to the radio. So she just from the beginning started to absorb a lot of music. She dropped out of high school in the 10th grade and she got a job working for a telephone company in Anniston, Alabama. And when she wasn't working, she and her sister would attend dances at the local VFW hall. She started to become interested in performance opportunities attending these and began singing with the VFW's country band and eventually would appear on the local television station with them. She just realized she was interested in entertainment right out the gate. It was at these outings that she met a guitarist named Jack Pruitt. They soon began dating, and he enlisted in the military. While she was awaiting his return, Jeannie moved into his sister's home. Jack returned from the service, and the couple married in 1955. It was this same year that Jack became the touring guitarist for country artist and former I'd Buy That for a Dollar feature, Ray Price. Ooh. Love that guy. A legend. In 1956, the couple moved to Nashville, Tennessee, so that Jack could continue performing in Price's band. They lived in a trailer park. Their neighbors included Lester Flat, Hawkshaw Hawkins, and Gene Shepard. And so they were kind of immediately, you know, amongst country royalty. Jeannie gave birth to their first child, and shortly after the birth, Jack accepted a job playing in Marty Robbins' road band, the family were able to move into a two-story house in Nashville based on the income that Jack started getting from playing with Marty Robbins. Well, Jeannie and Marty were like best friends for their entire life. And she says in her autobiography that people always thought she and Marty had something going on, but she wanted to set the record straight that she did not have anything going on with Marty. And it was proof that uh, men and women can be platonic friends. I was happy to hear that. Yeah, Jeannie developed a hobby of songwriting while she was raising her new family, and um, Jack, her husband, started to bring those songs to Marty Robbins, and he signed her to a, his publishing company, and she wrote several songs. There was one that usually she would get a mail to demo the songs, but there was one w song that she, the song Count Me Out, uh, Jeannie recorded the vocal herself, and Robbins was impressed immediately. And he did, He ended up cutting the track himself and had a major hit with it in 1966. And, you know, but he knew she was a big discovery. Eventually, Robbins started bringing her songs to Chet Atkins, and Atkins signed her to a recording contract with RCA in 1963. Unfortunately, sadly, her first songs were released the same day that Patsy Cline was killed in a plane crash in March of 1963, and the songs just went unnoticed. Everyone was reeling from the huge loss in the country world. She released a few singles between 1963 and 64, but they were unsuccessful. So she returned to domestic life for a brief time, and then in 1969, she signed a new recording contract with Decca Records after Marty Robbins brought two of her songs to aforementioned producer Owen Bradley. His, the quote is, this girl's got a housewife sound and I can sell her, is what uh, Bradley <laughs> told to uh, Marty Robbins. And so she had some moderate success with a single called Hold On To My Unchanging Love that became her first chart entry it got as high as number 66 on the Billboard Hot Country Singles chart, so not a huge hit. Her self-penned song, Love Me, the following year, became her first top 40 entry on the country singles charts. Uh, Marty Robbins recorded the track shortly after the original and had a top 10 hit with it. In October of 1972, her debut album was released on the Decca label. It received good reviews, but it was she commercially hit with this, the release of her second album, Satin Sheets. It was on the strength of the single that the entire album was recorded. And this is the same year that Decca Records became MCA Records, correct? Yes, that is a that is a good point to make. That's why this is on MCA, because Decca became MCA. So yeah, it was almost a full 
10 years of having a professional career before she really hit big. Yeah, she had a bit of a gestation period. Uh, I think she really perfected uh, her singing and honed her songwriting in that time period, though. So she, when she hit, it was like kind of probably felt like she came out of nowhere for your average radio country radio listeners. Mm-hmm. She'd been doing this. Yeah, and this, in June of 1973, when this song was like at its peak, she accepted an invitation to join the Grand Old Opry. Uh, Dolly Parton announced her. She said, tonight I'm introducing the newest member of the Grand Old Opry, Miss Satin Sheets, Jeannie Pruitt. And I, you know, that, that's a good point that just like another Jeannie, Jeannie C. Riley became Harper Valley PTA. Although Jeannie Pruitt had other hit songs, she was pretty much synonymous with this song. Mm-hmm. That always seems sad when that happens to an artist. They like make other good stuff, but they're just that thing, that one thing they did. <laughs> she loved it, though. <laughs> she loved Satin Sheets. It was her favorite song. And she kind of just wrote that song forever. I think she just really liked it. Yeah, I saw she had a song called Play Me the Song Satin Sheets or something Yeah, like that, that. that was her sequel. Just <laughs> yeah. like Jeannie C. Riley had a yeah. sequel to Harper Valley PTA. She had her sequel song. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like her singing about someone requesting that song uh, to her at a yeah. show. And yeah, then the end, she sings some of the lines from the original. And yeah, I thought it was pretty clever, actually. <laughs> yeah, And one of her cookbooks is called Satin Sweets. <laughs> so that, yeah, that's, uh, we, we can jump ahead to that because... We haven't really gotten into the fact that in you know the 1980s, she ended up getting divorced from Jack Pruitt in the early 1980s. She remarried a man named Eddie Fulton in 1985 and was married to him until he died in 2019. But as her country music career declined, she picked up another passion. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because it ties right into your other, your two interests are right here in this artist, Kathy. Yeah. Yeah, she started up a restaurant called Feed and Friends or Jeannie Pruitt's Feed and Friends in the Opryland Park. And so she would like sing at the Grand Ole Opry and then she would tell everybody, come on over to my restaurant and get some food. And then she'd make her way over to the restaurant and she'd make a bunch of money at her restaurant. And then she made all these cookbooks and everybody would buy her cookbooks. In her autobiography, she said, she was making so much money because just like she had all, you know, people would eat at her restaurant. People would buy her book. People would go and watch her sing. And she was just living the best life. And you were kind enough to send us to bake or, or to prepare and oh, send yeah. us <laughs> one of her recipes. The, the recipe it's, this is from feed and friends, right? Yeah, her first cookbook, Feeding Friends. You sent us quick nibbles for the TV game. Yeah. I love that that uh, name of it. Quick nibbles for the TV game. Yeah, did, um, it's basically just Chex Mix. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tasty. It's it's good. It, it did she do the illustrations that are included in the book? <laughs> no, she didn't. <laughs> but they're great. Good yeah, there's an illustration of somebody, you just see the back of the chair and they're reaching into the, the bowl, sitting next to them on the end table and they're watching the football game. And there's this logo down here at the bottom right side of the page that's a butterfly with JP. That That's that's her logo. And you said you, you wrote on this, this uh, Xerox sheet that you send me. I have a belt buckle of this logo. I do. Yeah, I was like, back when I was like 20 something, 21 or whatever, I was on eBay looking up Jeannie Pruitt stuff and somebody had a belt buckle for sale of her logo. And I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I think I paid like $7 for it. Um, it's a It's a nice belt buckle and I've worn it several times. Are you wearing it right now? 
I'm not. I don't need a belt oh, right now. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should get to another song before we talk about any other cool oddball facts you might have about Jeannie. Kathy, what song did you want to play next? Well, one of my favorite songs on this album is Lonely Women Crying. Yeah, that's a good one. That is at the end of side A. I tried to find information on this songwriter, Faye Bradshaw. All I could really find was that she wrote songs for Mel Tillis and Porter Wagner and a few others, uh, but there really wasn't much other information. No. So if anyone knows, please email us at ibuythatpodcast at gmail.com with your information on Faye Bradshaw. In the meantime, here is the song Lonely Women Crying, Side A, Track 6. the talk of the town people all whisper when they come around their hearts are crying but who hears the sound lonely women to think that song sounds so dreamy and so sad um it sounds like teardrops to me because she's so lonely and then the like the instruments are making noises that sound like water dripping down <laughs> i don't know how to explain it but i used to sing that one when i would play my own shows um, that was one of my favorite songs to play live you don't hear a whole lot of songs about women going out and listening to loud music. I think that was the part that really resonated with me because I love to listen to loud music. But then, you know, sometimes when you listen to loud music, it's because you're feeling a certain way and you want to feel better. And I feel like that song kind of just really hit the spot for me. Yeah, thanks to us both being members of the Facebook group Now Playing, I know that you were a fan yeah. of Amundul 2. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> the heavy Krautrock band. That's right. Hippies. Yeah, my, my two favorite kinds of music, uh, classic country and, and like Krautrock and prog rock. They, they go hand in hand. That, uh, we'll talk more about this when you do some plugs, but that explains <laughs> your sound, the sound of the music you make. <laughs> <laughs> So before Jeremy, I have this, I have this suspicion that Jeremy is going to be asking Sean a question soon, but uh, Kathy, would you like to drop any interesting additional facts on Jeannie for our listeners? You, you seem to be, you're, you're the biggest Jeannie Pruitt super fan I know. <laughs> there was just some odd 
little facts that I learned that, for example, you, you know Skeeter Davis. Yes. Don't they know it's the end of the world? End of the world. Yeah. She died of cancer. And when she was going through all of her treatments, Jeannie was probably one of her greatest friends and would help her go back and forth to her doctor's appointments and everything when Skeeter's husband didn't want to do it anymore. This odd fact. It's so morbid. I'm sorry. But in her autobiography, she says when Skeeter finally died that she was the one that did Skeeter's hair and makeup before she went into the grave. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were really good friends. And I just feel like Jeannie just seems like she would have been a great friend, a very loving person. She has so many memories of other people and her whole book is basically just name dropping. I love this person. I love that person. I have a great memory with this person. And even like the last um, page of her thing is, if I've ever met you, I remember you. Like that's what she said. So she just seemed like a great friend to everybody. She would have people over for dinner all the time and she'd say, okay, no press allowed, no photos allowed. We're just gonna, everybody's gonna bring food and we're gonna hang out and we're gonna have a great time. And she just seemed to know everybody and get along with everybody. And then I have another odd fact. <laughs> I like the morbid facts, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> That's what we're here for. Was she, <laughs> she said that her and Patsy Klein knew each other very briefly and um, Patsy would, would really liked Jeannie's hair and would always whisper to her, hey, you should cut your hair so I can make myself a wig. Of her and, hair. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I guess Patsy died and then Jeannie said when she cut her hair, she kept it. Because she always thinks of Patsy. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Yeah. So she, I don't know if she still keep, has that hair or not that she's saving for Patsy's wig. But. I thought for sure that story was going to end with she cut her hair and made a wig yeah. for Patsy that she that was buried she died in. And, oh, <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah. No, she didn't. Yeah. It's not just satin sheets that she's preparing for people. <laughs> God. <laughs> wow, those are great morbid facts kathy thank you do you want to hear her top 14 favorite songs she wrote her a list of her top 14 well i could see i could tell you that her top five let's do five is good number let's do the top five as, as much as i would love i would love to hear all 14 <laughs> but <laughs> maybe not everyone well, does. i was just going to read this the the um titles is satin sheets is number one shenandoah number two number three is crazy arms number four beg into you and number five is Don't Worry, which is, that's the only one I don't know. Do you know that song? Don't Worry? I know Don't Worry Baby, but that, I don't think that's what she's talking about. Are these are these strictly, are those all songs she's performed or are they anybody's? I'm, I'm not, I, I basically don't know her catalog outside of this album and a couple other songs. I don't recognize some of these as being ones that she's done, so. Uh, we, we can just assume that she's talking about Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin. <laughs> You're probably right, Sean. That's canon now. It's. Uh, I think that's in everybody's top five songs, personally. Uh, I have a tiny non-morbid fact. Um, Jeannie Pruitt shares a birthday with previously featured Jody Watley. Oh, wow. Okay. January 30th. Yeah. I should have remembered that. Also previously mentioned Gene Hackman. When did Gene Hackman get mentioned? Uh, on the Chris Christopherson episode. Okay. Previously mentioned on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> on another episode. You're, yeah. You, Sean, I mean, it sounds like Jeannie would, has a good enough memory. She has like that Mary Lou Henner perfect recall memory. She might actually, if she listens to our podcast, she would remember anytime we've mentioned anyone. If, if we've mentioned it, she knows them. That's, yeah. Well, Sean, I would like you to mention mm -hmm. three albums not made by Jeannie Pruitt, but people might think, I like Jeannie Pruitt albums. Maybe I'd like these albums. Okay. Yeah, for you, Jeremy, I'll do that. 
My first recommendation, the obvious pick, Tammy Wynette, another lonely song from 1974, a record that we have previously featured, so you can listen to that episode as well. Please do. And second recommendation, Lynn Anderson's Rose Garden from 1971. Oh, another lady singer that's kind of like pigeonholed into the one hit song, right? <laughs> yeah. That was, uh, of course, the song written by Joe South, who we've also recommended before. Definitely got to do a Joe South episode and got to do a Lynn Anderson episode sometime. Final recommendation, Melba Montgomery, her self-titled album from 1973. Her first album on the Electra label, not a label you commonly find straight up country records yeah, on. That's true. Uh, Melba was like more notable as a duet singer from the sixties, but her seventies material is really, really good as well. Yeah. I feel dumb for not getting into Melba yet. That's someone that's been on my radar for a while. Yeah. She's a great singer. I love Melba. Not to be confused with Melba Moore. No. <laughs> Kathy, do you have any, since you have such a, Colossal collection of female country artists. Do you have any additional similar albums you'd like to recommend our listeners check out? Well, I was trying to decide um, which one of hers, but I'll just name two, the first two. Um, Wilma Burgess. I feel like Wilma has a similar sound to Jeannie's singing style. They both have this like really beautiful like ribbon-like sound and they can hold the notes out for a long time and just give you the goosebumps and they have a lot of soul so i would say wilma burgess's album don't touch me from 1966 as well as her second album wilma burgess sings misty blue from 1967 oh yeah i'm not familiar with her i feel like maybe i've seen the name but definitely have not listened to her music well she's definitely one you could find in the dollar bins Perfect. Well, thank you for adding those to Sean's already excellent list. And I, you know, we'll, we'll definitely have you back on to talk more artists of this ilk in the future. But would you like to tell our listeners about the music that you make or anything they can check out that you're up to? Sure. I am also known as Valora K. Wood, and I have a few albums out, but I'd say look at my Bandcamp if you want to hear anything because my albums are all just on CDRs and they don't really exist anymore. So there is a Bandcamp, Valora K. Wood, with one album, 14 years. And then I also have a YouTube channel where I put up some of the obscure female country songs that I find on these LPs that I collect. And that's the YouTube channel called Musical Evidence. And there's a lot of obscure female country on that channel, if you like that kind of thing. Yes, please. And I will just, I'll give an extra plug. I highly recommend people check out the Valora K. Wood stuff. It is fantastic. I really love that stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I was listening. Peter was sending it along to us, and that's right up my alley. I like the, it's like a little bit. You can tell there's some country influence, but like also kind of like <laughs> lo-fi noise type stuff. And I was, yeah, it's very, it's cool. all like four track in my bedroom recording on my four track and, uh, all very by myself. Cool. So thanks. Did we have anything else we wanted to say about Jeannie Pruitt before we introduce our final selection? Well, does anybody edit Wikipedia? Because she does have four cookbooks, but Wikipedia only lists three of them. So Ooh. if anybody is an editor of Wikipedia, they should add satin sweets. <laughs> I actually, <laughs> as I was studying and going through there, I had to make several edits because there were missing words throughout her bio. So oh, I think it needs some attention. It's There's a lot of information there, but it could probably be a little better arranged. So... Yeah, <laughs> if anyone's up to the challenge. <laughs> if only we had a public historian. <laughs> yeah, who? I don't know who that could be. <laughs> or a cataloger. 
Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we thank you so much, Kathy. Uh, Really happy to have you on the program. And this was a great record to bring to us and to our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. I'm really glad that Jeannie Pruitt is getting some more attention. Absolutely. What was the final selection you wanted to play? Well, one of her self-penned songs called What My Thoughts Do All the Time. Yeah, this is the other song that was on Tammy Wynette's Another Lonely Song that I failed to select when we <laughs> featured that album. I, uh, but that's just a testament to how good of an album Another Lonely Song is. I think we played five songs from it, too. <laughs> oh, do we do a bonus on that? I think it's I think also a testament to how good Jeannie Pruitt is because Tammy is covering two of her songs. Yeah, I have to think Tammy had this record and you know because that's it's the following year it's 1974 that she recorded those so mm-hmm. I, I think it's very likely that tammy was a big fan of this record she wasn't turned off by the all pink oops all pink cover yeah <laughs> no i think tammy would have approved of the all pink cover all right well we'll listen to that song what my thoughts do all the time which is side b track one thank you for listening to another installment of i'd buy that for a dollar. My name is Peter Cook. My name is Jeremy Ruggles. And I'm Sean Hartman. My name is Kathy Illman. Like I want you, I'll soon be done.